Welcome to the Climate Report on Forward Radio, WFMP 106.5 FM, Louisville. This is Hart Hagen, your host, and we are on episode number 336. Today's topic is Regenerative Landscaping, part one. Now, this will probably be at least a three-part series, but Regenerative Landscaping, what's that? Well, we hear about regenerative farming and it's like, okay, let's not just have farming that is sustainable, where you sustain, but let's have farming that regenerates. So I'm talking about landscaping in the same way. I believe landscaping could be regenerative and many people do have landscapes that tend to regenerate their local and regional ecosystems. And I believe that could be possible on a large scale. I believe it needs to happen on a large scale. And when we make regenerative landscaping happen on a large scale, then the people that will be involved in that process are the people that are absolutely required to make change happen. So this first episode in regenerative landscaping is about the theory of change, Hart Hagen's theory of change. Why theory of change? Because we want to solve the problem of climate change. We want to do that, whatever it takes and whatever that looks like. And sometimes we get way too far into these situations before we stop to ask ourselves, what is going to make change happen, especially when you're dealing with people, you're dealing with groups of people, you're dealing with political parties, you're dealing with something called an economy, you're dealing with systems such as an education system and a transportation system. And we get into the weeds and we, we're, we're not making progress and we're confused. Sometimes it's because we have not stopped to ask ourselves or one another, what is the theory of change? What is going to make change happen? So the purpose of the Climate Report is to solve the problem of climate change, whatever that may look like and whatever that may mean. My journey has led me to conclude that what we need more than anything else is living systems sometimes called ecosystems. Living systems as opposed to what? Living systems as opposed to, say, engineering solutions. So some people are putting all their hope in engineering solutions. Some people seem to be putting all of their hope in this or that technology that will supposedly lead us to the promised land, or at least lead us to a better place when it comes to climate. I think that's a mistake because it doesn't get deep enough at the root of the problem. I mean, solar panels, electric cars, wind turbines, smart thermostats, uh, CCS, carbon capture and storage. I don't think these things get to the root of the problem because they do not address the issue of who is in charge and who is making all the decisions. 
And the people who are in charge, the people with the money who tend to control the media, among other things, they're not saying very much at all about living systems. And the reason for that primarily, in my view, take it or leave it, but the reason for that primarily is that there's not a lot of money to be made in dealing with living systems. There is wealth to be created. There's wealth to be created for the poor and the middle class. When we get our living systems in order, when we create or nurture living systems, then that is going to create a lot of wealth for the poor of this world and for the middle class of this world. If we get our living systems, our regenerative farming going, our water, uh, get our water cycles in shape, our short water cycles, our local water cycles, get our rain what it needs to be, uh, get our, not only the rainfall, not only the annual rainfall, but get the effective rainfall where it needs to be. Effective rainfall is like, it's not how much rain you get, it's how much you keep. It's how much can the ground soak up. That is an example of nurturing living systems in a way that's going to create a whole heck of a lot of wealth for people who are currently poor and middle class. But Wall Street doesn't know how to make money off of that, and Wall Street owns the media. Therefore, Wall Street drives much of the conversation around climate. But what we're lacking more than anything else is a functioning biosphere. Our living systems, we have degraded our living systems. In the last 10,000 years, human beings have rapidly degraded our living systems, especially in the last 100 years or so, especially in the last 50 years or so. The more time goes on, the more rapidly we are in the business of degrading our living systems. Lots and lots of deforestation, lots and lots of overfishing in the oceans. Lots and lots of desertification, drought and desertification that is human-caused. And we can solve these problems. It's not expensive. It's not, you know, the, the, the solutions to drought and desertification, for example, are well within our grasp. But they're not being talked about and they're not being addressed by the most powerful institutions, including the U.S. federal government and Wall Street, etc. But what does a functioning biosphere look like? Since we're talking about what we really need to solve the climate problem is a functioning biosphere. A functioning biosphere means we have lots and lots of plants. I mean, it, you know, it's mostly plants. Above ground, something like five-sixths of the biomass above ground is plants as opposed to animals, fungi, etc. So plants are you know the critical element in so many ways and when you you know they get sun, they get energy from the sun, they provide housing, they are a conduit and a reservoir for water. Plants are you know most ecosystems cannot survive a day without plants. So if we want healthy, functioning, robust ecosystems, what we need to do is to stop 
killing the plants. We do that in agriculture. We do that in uh, deforestation. You know, we do it in forestry for timber. We do it in forestry when we chop down a lot of trees for wood chips, which is supposedly clean, green, and renewable, but it's not. But anyway, a functioning biosphere means we start to reforest instead of always deforesting. And we, we deforest for timber, but we also deforest for development. We deforest for military bases. We de deforest for cities and roads. So what a functioning biosphere needs first and foremost is more plants. Stop getting rid of the plants. Stop getting rid of the green matter. Bring the green matter back. In the way we do agriculture, we could be bringing the green matter back. In fact, Agriculture is probably the single most momentous sector of our economy, and guess what? It's hardly being talked about. It's being talked about only as a side issue, as an incidental thing, instead of, in my view, the most momentous aspect of our economy, and the most, you know, the most impactful sector of our economy on our environment. It's that way because of the amount of tillage and how that destroys the soil. It's that way because of the amount of fossil fuels that go into the equipment and also the fertilizers. It's that way because monocultures, that is, you know, one crop as far as the eye can see, are absolutely adverse to nature, even if it's organic. An, a monoculture of corn, a monoculture of wheat, a monoculture is soy, of soy is completely adverse to nature, and we haven't even started talking about the pesticides yet. Agriculture is extremely momentous and impactful on our economy. And we're not talking about this because why? Because the powers that, you know, the people who have the money own the, the, the media and many of the other institutions. They're very manipulative and, um, you know, it's not all intentional. It's not all conspiratorial. I like saying, you know, people with money, they don't always, they can't always see very far, but they can smell when their money is being threatened. So, you know, if you're, if you're Monsanto and you're traded on Wall Street, even if Monsanto is now part of Bayer, if you're Bayer, if you're Archer Daniels Midland, if you're, if you're a fossil fuel company that loves providing fossil fuels to the agricultural sector, you can smell when your money is being threatened. And so there are certain issues that you're just not going to see faced head on in the New York Times, MSNBC, Washington Post, Inside Climate News, any of these prestigious uh, organizations some issues are just not going to be addressed. That's why what we have now and what we've been doing for a very long time is we've been killing off trees and other plants and there's not a proper understanding of what the problem really is. That's why so many people are walking around with a misunderstanding of what we need to do to solve the climate crisis. So the category of human activity under which We've been killing off plants. You know, I said, you know, we've been killing off plants for 10,000 years. 
the category of human activity that we, under which we've been killing off plants might be called land use. You know, land use is self-explanatory, but it deserves a definition. Land use is whenever we is however we choose to use land. So, look around you. We use land for housing, for factories, for farms, for shipyards, military installations, distribution centers, call centers, that call centers, uh, roads and bridges, pipelines, etc. Or, or we could look at land use in terms of the different sectors of the economy that are accounted for. One major sector of the economy is agriculture. Another major sector of the economy is transportation. This includes not only transporting people, but also goods. So it includes shipping. It also includes the UPS planes that are carrying goods primarily and not people. The military is a major sector of the economy. We've also got clothing and fashion. We have media and communications, including not only mass media, but also uh, including not only mass media and broadcasting, but also cell phones and the internet. Another sector of the economy, we have mining of metals like gold and silver and copper and lithium and cobalt and nickel. All of these are needed in all the technology that is included in nearly every device we have today. And then we have the mining of coal and lumped into that together we have drilling for oil and gas and that would include fracking and also hydraulic fracking Hyd fracking which is short for hydraulic fracturing it's a terrible practice but let's go buddy let's do this and then of course we have government I'm naming sectors of the economy. We have government, we have education, you know, we have religious activities and nonprofits, and we have law enforcement. We have all these human activities, and one might reasonably ask these questions. Let's ask a few questions with, with respect to all these activities that we just named. We talk about clothing and fashion, media and communications. We're talking about agriculture, talking about transportation, talking about mining of metals, we're talking about uh, mining and drilling in, in the energy sector and education, religion. So one might reasonably ask these questions. Are you ready? Good, because we'll talk about that on the next segment. This is Forward Radio, WFMP 106.5 FM, Louisville. So what questions are we going to ask about all these human activities? First question or set of questions, what is the purpose of these activities? What's the purpose? What's the end game? What are we trying to get to? What place are we trying to get to? That might sound heavy and deep, but it's not. It's what we should be asking every day. We have all these issues people are arguing about. Recently, Roe v. Wade was overturned. We had COVID. We have the war in Ukraine. We had the Johnny Depp and Amber Heard trial for crying out loud. And we have all of these human activities that are set up supposedly by government and by the private sector 
and supposedly, supposedly we live in a democracy, and how rarely do we ask, what are we trying to get to? What place are we trying to get to? Next question, who is in charge? Who is in control? We assume we live in a democracy. We assume that imperfect though it may be, the stars and stripes stand for freedom. And when we go to that voting booth, we cast our ballot for who we consider to be the best candidate. And then we go home and we might write a letter to a congressperson. We might get on social media and express our opinion. But most people believe that imperfect as it may be, we have a democracy. But then we know money is in charge. We know money is in power. Money is power. We know if when we think about it, money is power. We know power corrupts. We know or we have heard that absolute power corrupts absolutely, but money is power and power corrupts. And we know that money runs the show in Washington, D.C. But if, if we know that money runs the show in Washington, D.C., why do we still assume that we have a democracy? Next question. And remember what we're talking about here. Yes, climate change, but how do we make change happen? And so we have to talk about our form of government, but more fundamental than that, we need to talk about how power works and how change happens. And we need to have a clear-eyed understanding of what's going on because solving a problem, understanding a problem is half the solution. Defining a problem is half the the solution. Next question, who benefits from these activities? All these activities that we named, you know, transportation, energy, agriculture, fashion, shipping, government, military, law enforcement, education, mining. Who benefits from those activities? Is it we the people? Do we the people benefit from those activities? And we might also ask who gets to decide how these activities are organized? Who decides that? Here's why I'm making such a big deal out of this. Because the most vocal people in climate change, the most vocal people are in complete denial about how change happens. They're in complete denial about who is in charge. How can you solve a problem if you don't understand how change happens? How can you solve a problem if you don't understand who is in charge? How can you wield power individually or collectively if you do not understand who currently has power and how that power is wielded? You will never hear this conversation among people. For some reason I, that I have not figured out, you will not hear this conversation among people who want 
to solve the problem of climate change. That's why most of them are going with the flow. They're going along with commercial solutions. They're going along with engineering solutions as opposed to non-commercial solutions, as opposed to solutions that involve living systems. Such people think that we just need to incentivize Wall Street. We need to throw a lot of government money to sub at, at solar panels, to subsidize solar panels, and that's how we're going to reduce our carbon footprint. And if you can afford an electric car, then good for you. It's slightly better than an internal combustion car, and they're going to get better all the time. Batteries are going to get better all the time. And then we're going to take these massive carbon sequestration and carbon capture and sequestration operations, or we're going to take the carbon out of the air and put it into the ground. And we're going to have energy efficient smart thermostats and we're going to insulate our homes. And we believe government has a role in this, right? Because we're good Democrats. But all of those things I just named, the, the electric cars, the solar panels, the wind turbines, are going to make an ever so slight difference in carbon and in fossil fuel usage, and it's going to be too little too late. I submit to you that the people who are the most visible in the climate movement, the people that are most vocal in the climate movement, do not have a viable plan for drawing down carbon. They do not have a viable plan for reducing the for reducing fossil fuel usage. I'm talking about Bill McKibben. I'm talking about Naomi Klein. I'm talking about Michael Bruhn of the Sierra Club and all of their local followers, the people that drafted the, you know, these uh, local clean and renewable energy plans, uh, you know, the, the people with Renewable Energy Alliance of Louisville, I like them, I love them, they're great people, they're my good friends, I don't think they're fundamentally on the right path. Louisville Climate Action Network, Sarah Lynn Cunningham, good person, I don't think they are fundamentally on the right path, then they do not have a viable plan for drawing down carbon. Most of them, there's this Mark Jacobson model out of Stanford. So Mark Jacobson had this plan that said, look, we can do all this by 2030. We can have a certain uh, number of hydroelectric dams, a certain number of solar panels, a certain number of wind turbines, and look how this works to make us fossil fuel free by 2030. And nearly everybody in that movement has bought into that reasoning, even if they've never heard of Mark Jacobson or his plan, even though it's been extremely influential. It worked its way. I've read all of the Green New Deals. There are five Green New Deals. I've read all of them. They all rely to a great extent on Mark Jacobson's plan. And Mark Jacobson's plan was, as far as I'm concerned, it was thoroughly discredited. 
If Sarahlin Cunningham believes differently, then we need to talk. She won't debate me because Democrats never ever debate me. I'm sorry, all due respect, I've just never had a yes answer to let's go on the air or at least a Zoom call and talk about these things. Let's talk about whether Michael Moore was on the right track in his movie Planet of the Humans because that made the mainstream climate movement, I'll call it the mainstream climate movement, that made these people mad beside themselves, even though, hello, the last third of the movie is just corrupt people saying corrupt things on camera. They tried to make it sound like Planet of the Humans was all about some concept of how long a solar panel is going to last. That's not what the movie was about. They're majoring in minors, and they don't want to deal with the reality of how thoroughly corrupt the climate movement is, especially the big green organizations. And this matters because this is where we're getting our information. We're getting our information from the Sierra Club. We're getting our information from Naomi Klein. I think Naomi Klein's a good person. I do not think she's corrupt. I do think she's on the wrong path. Bill McKibben, on the other hand, I think he has done some great things. He has written some great books. Probably his heart is in the right place, but I think he's going down the wrong path and he's not willing to have an open dialogue with the people who disagree with him. What's up with that? So, got a couple of minutes left. Let me leave you with something to think about. This series is about regenerative landscaping. I've chosen regenerative landscaping as a personal crusade because I believe that's where the action is. I believe that's where change is going to occur. I don't think change is going to occur with solar panels or wind turbines or carbon capture and sequestration or electric cars or electric batteries lithium, anything. I think change is going to occur because what we mainly need is living systems, ecosystems. We need plants. We need functioning ecosystems. We need to organize our food production around functioning ecosystems, and that needs to be for everybody, not just the upper middle class who can afford to go to the farmer's market under the current system. So in Hart Hagen's perfect world, we engage with our home landscape first. And honestly, it doesn't have to be that much work. Bill Mollison, the founder of Permaculture, said we are surrounded by insurmountable opportunities. The soil beneath our feet presents insurmountable opportunities. The plant matter that could grow in our home landscape and in our public parks presents a tremendous opportunity if we will learn about it, be familiar with it, engage with it, and nurture it. That's where the power is. Water cycles will cool our climate much faster than trying to draw down carbon. Like I said, Nobody has a plan for drawing down carbon. Actually, those of us 
in the regenerative movement, yeah, we got your plan for drawing down carbon. We could draw down carbon in six years, according to a, a leading soil scientist. So yes, let's draw down carbon. But drawing down carbon alone will not cool the climate in your lifetime or my lifetime or our children's or grandchildren's lifetime. It will take a very long time and that's okay because we can cool the climate with water cycles. We can cool the climate by properly understanding that greenhouse gases are not the only factor in the greenhouse effect. Let's deal with the greenhouse effect in a way that actually cools our climate. That's all the time we have. Thank you so much for joining me. Have a great day.